6. John chapter 6. John 6. And we are in verses 52 through 59. God's word says this. The Jews, and we understand that, the Jewish religious leaders, uh, then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Please be seated. Let's pray. Thank you, O Lord, for the promised Holy Spirit who helps us as we read and interact with your given, sacred, true word. And we thank you that that's what will happen here. Thank you for this text. Help us as we engage. Help me as I preach it. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I said in our prayer, our oldest daughter is in Spain. She's there kind of getting immersed. She's in Madrid. Uh, was hoping to get Real Madrid tickets, but that's a tough ticket, I think, uh, uh, for a foreigner especially. But she's, she's there loving and enjoying the three or four days she's been there. Paula said, text us and let us know you're still alive. So every day we get a text, still alive. And, um, but she's been there. One of her issues is uh, she knows enough Spanish to make an order at a restaurant or to ask for directions, but she's so good at that part of it that they just assume, and and with her darker skin, uh, they assume she's probably Spanish. And what she hears back is this whole stream of words she can't understand. And she's going to have to be there a while and and get immersed in the language and, and hear that and interact. That's not unlike we Christians with a Bible. And we read things. And it kind of makes sense. A lot of it makes perfect sense, and we are responsible for what we understand. But it takes some getting immersed in the Bible. We think we're going to just 
pop in and, and know a few phrases and, and say a few things. Uh, we're not getting the full effect, the full language, the full thing. And I want to say again, uh, just a challenge to you and to me. I heard Grant yesterday. He said, when I was in junior high, he said it was the first time I'd read through the Bible all the way through. He said, I just did that. And that was really good for me as a young man um, with everything else that I was taking in in the world, just to read the Bible. And I'm not saying you have to memorize all of the Bible and there'll be quizzes on it for you from me. Uh, Somebody said um, it's a burden you put on people when you say live simply. It's a help when you say live simpler. And what I'm saying to, to you and to me is Boy, God gave us a Bible. He gave us a sacred text. This is his word. It's been proven uh, through the, the centuries. And it's there for us. Take it in. Nudge something out uh, if you can. If you've got that a spot in your, in your calendar or a few minutes in your day. Um, if you look at oh, I'm just giving an example. I'm not giving you anything legal uh, here, and you have to do it this way that I say. But I'm just saying as a suggestion. If you look at 10 news sites, I bet there's a couple that maybe you could, you could rotate those around and, and maybe find, carve some time for, for, for everything off but, but the word of God and you praying to God and responding. Uh, just see if you can't do that. And as you do that, when you come to texts like this where Jesus says, eat my flesh and drink my blood, and you go, what in the world? I think as you read these things, um, you're going to understand a little bit more, just like Sarah's going to learn more Spanish, just as she is immersed in the culture there. Okay? One of the things I love doing and I see Karini's in here. On Thursday nights, if, 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 if everything's working right for her work schedule and, and all that stuff, we meet and we're just we're going through English as a second language for her. And there's a phrase in there. I was thinking of this phrase that, that would sound so funny. Um, somebody says, it's raining cats and dogs. You know, boy, it's raining cats and dogs. Well... Karini's smart. She knows it's not literally raining cats and dogs, but what does a phrase like that mean? And do you have a phrase like that in Portuguese when it rains really hard? Or we might say that's a real gully washer if we were from around Texas or someplace. Um, We immerse ourselves in the Bible. We hear sermons. We think of things. We compare. We ponder. We talk with each other. And pretty soon, even the Phrases that were a little hard or or, or smack us in the face, at least we have a point of reference. I'm just saying, uh, God gave us his Bible for for good for us. And take and read. That's that's what I'm saying. So we get to a phrase like this. Um, Jesus said, and he's been saying, I am the bread of life. Uh, I'm the bread, verse 51, that I don't believe we read this morning. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. 
If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And these people were there, and they were there in a hostile way toward him. They weren't honest, quote-unquote, seekers. Uh, They were hostile toward him. And they disputed, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus essentially doubled down. A little quote I put in there by Boyce in our worship folder. Uh, Jesus, Jesus didn't soften. He went a little harder, a little more uh, maybe mysterious, a little more firm on them with that. What does it mean? What does it mean? Were these, now Nicodemus, Jesus, Jesus spoke in metaphor to people that could understand metaphor. He did. Uh, he said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus responded in metaphor. Can I enter my mother's womb and be born again? Nicodemus was no dummy. Nicodemus was a teacher. Here's a rabbi, Jesus the great rabbi, uh, talking to another teacher, and he's talking in metaphor. Nicodemus is basically saying, I can't start my career all over again, can I? I'm already committed this far. Jesus is saying, yeah, you be born again in, in your understanding in your life. Uh, Nicodemus responded with metaphor. These people would have understood, most likely. But, you know, sometimes somebody says some words, whether it's in a political context. Uh, in our country, we see that, and you get a sound bite, and you get half of what a person said, and it's all over there. Can you, you can't vote for her. She said this. Well, you get the three minutes beforehand and the three minutes after, and you hear the whole speech. Maybe you still can't vote for her, but she sure didn't say that. And here are these people who were hostile to Jesus. What does he mean? How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus went on, and we're going to look at this. Really just two points and a summary. What these verses don't mean, what these verses do mean, and then some practical lessons. What these verses don't mean. They don't mean literal, eat my flesh. They don't mean literal, drink my blood. Uh, They used to, if you look at the early church, uh, the outsiders that were hostile toward Christianity uh, accused the church of cannibalism. Uh, They heard language like this, and they spread that rumor around, and just any, any dirt they could find. Yeah, they're in there. What are they doing with the... What are they doing with the shades pulled down? What are they doing in their, in their little meetings? What are they doing going on? They're eating. They're, they're cannibals. Well, no, never. Jesus didn't mean literally, obviously, eat my flesh and drink my blood. A lot of what Jesus said uh, was very literal. But here, wasn't saying that. And some people, and I'm going to say this, I'm going to say this, and you need to hear this. You cannot even apply these words to the Lord's Supper. I went to print out. The reason we don't have children's bulletins today is because somehow our our printer at home got out of whack, and I went to print these things at the last minute because I was in Presbytery. No, I should have done it Tuesday or Wednesday. But I went to print them at the last minute. I couldn't make it work there. Uh, But as I looked at, at the children's bulletins that we have today, 
so many of them took this text and they tied it in with the Lord's Supper. Many commentators tied it in with the Lord's Supper. Um, I'm telling you, there is nothing you can do, nothing you can do to make God love you. There's no act you can perform, including partaking at the Lord's table. We might hear the same type of language, but this is not something a church can use and say, you take at the table uh, and you partake, this is how you partake in, in eat of the blood, bread and uh, eat of the flesh and drink of the blood. This is not right. Strong temptation for the people dispensing the Lord's Supper, which is rightly and properly the church, to then take this as another way of control. We've got to say this. It's not the church that saves. It's not the table that saves. It's not baptism that saves. It is one that saves. Jesus Christ alone. We partake at the table. It points us to the spiritual truths that we've been saved by Jesus. We partake together. It reminds us that we're not the only ones who were saved, that God's saved people uh, uh, from all types of sins, from all generations, from all, and Jesus is a saver, and we take, and we, we enjoy, and we do what he told us to do. Merely being baptized, whether you were sprinkled, poured on, or immersed, cannot save you. And you can eat your weight in communion bread in the course of a lifetime. And that is not what saves you. Nothing physical that anyone can do to make a right relationship with God. A lot of our culture doesn't even say communion or baptism. We just say good things. I tell you, I saw something, and as I think of it and I look at it, I just say, man, if I could save somebody based on these works, I would, I would say, straight to heaven. Saw a group of people taking some people with disabilities and, and teaching them the sport of baseball. Hey, is this heaven? No, it's Iowa, as the movie said, so close. But baseball. And they had these people, and they had volunteers that were there with disabled people from all ages that couldn't play baseball on their own. And I saw a man pick up a little boy after he, the little boy hit the ball off the tee and pick him up and put him on his shoulder and trot around those bases like a home run. And that little kid just loving that. A little boy with autism, my grandson. And I said, man... All I can do for that man whose name I'll never know is just pray for him. But a work cannot save. We, we do good works. We want to do those things. That's godliness in action when we do good things for people and give time and, and pour into people. That's godliness. But works and good works do not save. There is no eating and drinking literally. It's not what Jesus was talking about. But he did say then, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, verily, verily, if you're reading your King James, truly, truly, I'm going to tell you this, this is the truth, the absolute truth. 
Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. That is a pretty strong, definite statement. It's a a statement given in metaphor, but it's true. So what does it mean then? What does it mean to eat bread that is Jesus, eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood? Uh, I want to know what that is because I want to have life in me. If there's an outside possibility that Jesus really is the Son of God, sent from the Father with a message for people, a saving message, uh, I want to know what it means to have life in me. And I want to know what it means then to eat the flesh and drink the blood. What does that mean? Here's what it means. The flesh and blood of the Son of Man is this. The sacrifice of Jesus' own body, which Christ offered up on the cross when he died for sinners. That's what it means. Jesus Christ, the person and work of Christ, as we say. Who he is, what he did, why he did it, what are the lasting results. The person and work of Christ. The flesh and blood of the Son of Man is, again, that sacrifice of his own body, which Christ offered up on the cross when he died for sinners. His death made atonement for our sins. His sufferings as our substitute made satisfaction. The debt that we keep racking up was paid in full. He provided redemption. What is it about the flesh and blood of Jesus that we are to eat and drink and partake of? First of all, it was real flesh. Uh, Jesus was not a cartoon character. He was not a phantom. Uh, What do we do every Christmas? Uh, We think a little bit more uh, about that birth of Jesus Christ, the King, the entrance, the advent. Remember my son, a teacher telling us this in first grade, raising his hand. What a great teacher she was there at the New Milford Public School System. And he raises his hand and he says, I believe in the Advent. And she says, I do too, Davy. I do too. The Advent. We talk about Advent and Advent season and God coming. Flesh and blood. Real flesh. Real blood. Real body. Real diapers. Real body. Doing real body things. Second, about the flesh and blood. It was perfectly sinless. Tempted, like we are, yet without sin. This was a real body going through real life. Really tempted and really without sin. That body really died. Jesus really died. Some people, oh, there were all sorts of theories we had to learn that people through the years have tried to do to lessen the impact of of God dying on the cross. Jesus dying, that flesh and blood. Jesus in the second person dying. Say it that way and make sure we get it right. But really died. 
they came up with something called a swoon theory. I always thought swooning was what you, you did when you got older and you, you fell in love or, you know, temporarily or whatever, you swooned. That's what they did when the Beatles got off the plane, right? They all swooned and dropped over Elvis before him and Frank Sinatra before him and, and whoever it is now. Uh, no, the swoon theory. Jesus came close to death, but he wasn't really dead, and they got him off the cross and revived him. No, that's not what the Bible says. Dead. Dead. Verifiably dead, verifiably laid in a tomb. And then that body rose. And that death, that sacrifice, that atonement, that redemption was pronounced sufficient for our needs. It was perfect. There's one perfect thing. So here's a couple of illustrations from Aldi. I go to Aldi. And I put my quarter in and I get my, you know how it is, they got all the quarters all the carts hooked together, and you got to put a quarter in to get the cart, and they think you'll, you'll put it back. And I was sitting there struggling. I've got this bag of quarters, which I don't have anymore because I used them all in parking up in Boston yesterday uh, at Presbytery. I kept running out and feeding the machine, so my quarters are gone. But I was not able to get this quarter in the thing, and people are standing there waiting for me to put the quarter in. I finally pulled it out, and I said, five rand, different not a quarter. It just looked like a quarter, and it was almost like a quarter. It was five rand. I don't know what country I go. I did, I sh- you can tell me that. I'm, I'll show my ignorance. I don't know where five rand comes from, but I'm gonna, next time I go there, I'm going to have it in my pocket. I got five of them in the form of that coin. It didn't fit. Jesus' death on the cross, the perfect fit, the only thing you can put into that slot to get that is Jesus' body and his blood, his real flesh dying for us. Nothing else can save. That's the fit. A lot of us do things and they, we try things that are not quite. Like I wasn't sticking a copper penny in there and trying to get away with something. I wasn't doing like we used to do to my little brother. If we wanted him to do our chores, we'd say, hey, Danny, uh, if you, if you do this for us, you know, take out all the trash, whatever the, the basic chores were, we'll give you a dime. And then he would do it, and we'd say, how about we give you a nickel? It's bigger. Yeah, a nickel's bigger. I did it for a dime, but I'll sure take a nickel for that because it's bigger. Um, I wasn't trying to do that, but there's one thing that, that will fit. There's one thing for salvation that will fit. Just like the one quarter fits in there to get your cart if you don't want to have to Plug your stuff around. And not only that, but it is absolutely sufficient for every need, starting with your spiritual need, your greatest need, your eternal need, every other aspect of your life. So sometimes, you know, there's, a, there's all the politeness you're putting your cart back and somebody runs up and rather than have to go through the process, they'll hand you a quarter, you give them the cart. And One guy, I don't know where he was from, he didn't have a lot of money, I guess. He told me it was his birthday. Could I just have that cart without the quarter? Yeah, you can have the cart without the quarter. Happy birthday to you. And I won't even sing to you. 
But here's a mom, and she's got her three kids, and, and she's trying to juggle them around, and she's got her quarter she wants to give me, and I'm like, oh, no, just take the cart. Oh, no, here's the quarter. I said, ah, just spend it on your kids, and she looked at me funny. And there's a woman that reminded me a lot of Elaine Kirkland, and she couldn't help but laugh at it at the spend the quarter on your kids. Like, and I said, oh, that's dumb. What I mean is just take the cart. I was just thinking in my head, now nah, here's a mom, here's some kids, I don't need the quarter. 25 cents isn't going to go far for those three girls, is it? If I'd said, oh, and by the way, here's 25 million on top of that, and I hope that your whole life is covered the rest of the time. That's what salvation is. It's not just the quarter. It's not just a couple bucks. It's sufficient for all. It's covering everything. Eating and drinking the flesh and blood of Jesus means to receive his sacrifice that he freely offers in the gospel. It is inward. It's not literal. It's inward. There's an inward something that happens. You receive it inwardly. It is spiritual, but not some woozy little thing like, ooh, are you spiritual? Let's be spiritual. But it's spiritual. It is is something inward. It is something real. But it's a spiritual thing, eating and drinking. Your soul feeds on Christ's sacrifice by faith, specifically. And it's the message that Jesus preached. Nothing else. Eat my body. Drink my blood. Feed on me spiritually. Not addition, not anything else garnish that you need. It's that. And you, when you become a Christian, you're spiritually feasting on something special. You are feasting on Jesus' body and blood. We call it the atonement. The atonement for our sins. Practical lessons. So we can understand these things. We can have deep spiritual conversations about these things. We can talk a lot of, uh, to use the jargon, inside baseball on these things. But There's a point at which we better just do these things. Here's the, the Peanuts comic strip that I enjoyed. Linus and Lucy are sitting around with the crayons and paper. And Linus holds up a, a, one of those crayons. He goes, teal? Then he turns to Lucy, teal or cerulean? Which color expresses what I'm trying to say here? And she's ignoring him. He says, does wild strawberry say anything at all as he's reading these colors on these crayons? And I'm not sure if fuchsia makes an effort to communicate. And uh, Lucy, you can see even in the, the basic comic strip, she's starting to roll her eyes as it's frustrating to her. He says, tangerine or dandelion? In fact, does royal purple say that we... And Lucy, in all caps, says, color the sky blue and the grass green. And Linus is on the ground then being blasted by those words and the colors are all around. He says, just give me a black and let me do a night scene. Listen, we can talk. We've defined what it means in these simple terms. Jesus gave us a good metaphor. 
we don't need to think and think and, and, and write this volume and that volume and go all, all this. We just need to do what Jesus said. Eat his body, drink his blood. Feed on the atonement internally with your spirit. Receive Christ. The point of Jesus' illustration, which was a wonderful, purposeful illustration, he didn't give it to us to analyze it to death. He gave it to us for a practical purpose. And that's what we do here. Uh, So get this. Faith in Christ's atonement is absolutely necessary for your salvation. Faith in Christ's atonement is absolutely necessary for your soul's eternal salvation. Think of the Passover and what you know about the Passover in the Old Testament. And this is where we start to combine. We read our scriptures and we go, oh, this means this, this is for this. And we get this as we, as we live in it. Passover was there. God was going to set his people physically free from their slavery. Kill this Passover lamb, which we sang about that in one of our songs. Eat this lamb after you put the blood on the doorpost. Eat the lamb. Eat the lamb. Put the blood on the doorpost. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Death will not visit this house. If you eat the lamb, put the blood on the door. Those Israelites, those uh, churchgoers, we would say, those people that were kind of identified with God's people, that did not eat the lamb, put the blood on the door, uh, what happened if there were any of those there? Well, death visited them just the same as the Egyptians. What would have kept somebody from eating the Passover lamb? What would keep somebody from doing that? Everybody's doing it. We know most of them did it. They were all doing it. What would keep somebody, if somebody was there and didn't do it, why, why wouldn't they, do you think? few reasons. Unbelief in that action as salvation. They just didn't believe it. Some people don't eat the body of Christ and drink his blood because they just don't believe it. They don't mind hanging around with people who do believe it, but they don't believe it. They don't do it. Maybe some of these people, if there were people in that day in Israel that didn't do it, they just kind of thought, well... (laughs) God's looking down from his big angle, and I'm here among all these folks, and I'm associated with them. Um, All right, another form of non-belief, but kind of like a belief that they are God's people when they're really not. They're not specifically doing that themselves. Simple laziness. 17% don't feel good. 17% car's going to break. 17%. Just lazy. That's what it is. Let's call it laziness. Maybe they were just too lazy. Maybe they just wanted to hang on to that lamb. Everybody else is losing a lamb. I'm going to be ahead of my neighbor. I'll have a little more stuff. Uh, Who knows why? Busyness. Just got too busy. Listen. The ones who did eat the lamb and put the blood on the door, death did not visit. The ones who did not do what was told them 
death visited that house. Jesus said, truly, truly, eat the flesh, drink the blood. We've talked about what that is spiritually. You put your faith in the atonement of Jesus Christ for your sins. So, it's absolutely necessary. Uh, Faith in Christ's atonement unites us by the closest possible bonds to our Savior. He says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Uh, That's the glue. You want to be fixed to God, fastened to God, glued to God? I saw this guy put some strong glue on his feet and put his feet on the floor there at the U.S. Tennis Open, and and they had to, I don't know what they did. Did they scrape? How did they get his feet off? He he used some pretty good, he did his research good, and it slowed the thing down by 20 minutes, and everybody was mad at him, and I don't think he got his point across anyway. Uh, But he he was fixed there, but he wasn't fixed so close that it couldn't be removed. But Jesus said, my blood will fix you so close to God, nothing is going to take you away. That's, your, that's what fastens you to God. That atonement. It's the adhesive that glues you to Christ, the atonement. And finally, old J.C. Ryle, who, who is my best friend looking at John, said this, He said, faith in Christ's atonement is a personal act, a daily act, and an act that can be felt. It's a personal act. No one can eat and drink for us. No one can believe for us. I mean, we make jokes. We go, some guy said, I just can't, I just can't gain weight. Something's wrong with my body. Okay, say, I'll give you 50 of my pounds if I if I could. we, we can't eat for each other. We can't drink for each other. Uh, you, you eat, you drink. You, personally. Ezekiel 18. Uh, the, the sins of the Father are not uh, the sins of the Son. And the sins of the, the Son are not going to be applied to the, to the Father. Father does his thing. The daughter does her thing. The Son does his thing. But you, personally, are responsible for your eating and drinking the flesh or not. For your own salvation. It's personal. A personal act. It's also a daily act. We need food every day and not once in a week or a month. You need to daily believe the atonement. Your life is better when you're every day eating that good meal. And finally, it's an act that can be felt. My illustration is, and some of you go through this, and if I say it wrong, I'm not going through it yet. But let's say I took the illustration of like low blood sugar, an alarm beeping, and you have that fruit or that, that something with some sugar in it so you get that blood sugar back up. And immediately you feel better. Something's right in your body. You know your body. And you know when to eat and when not to eat. It's an act that can be felt. And in the same way, you feel it in your life. You know it in your life. When you visit the cross and you partake of that atonement, uh, 
regularly. I, you know, you just, it's like, man, my life is so out of whack. I got to just, I got all this stuff and I can, I can listen. What can I do? Uh, what can I, I can, I'll have an hour and a half on the road or two hours or whatever. Well, there's this soccer game starting. There's this review of that baseball game. There's a gazillion albums to listen to. There's all of these things. And at some point, um, and, and I'm not going to knock any of those things. You're not, a, you're not a sinner out of relationship with God to watch a movie. You're not. To read a book. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes from God. I'm just saying this. Are there not times when some of that does, maybe in your life, certainly in my life, some of that is so good. And some of it can be, uh, I can eat that instead of what I, my soul needs the most. And when I eat what my soul needs the most, then I can have a little dessert. Uh, whatever you do, whatever you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Whatever your spiritual soul eats and drinks and partakes of, Jesus said, here's life. Here's what you have to have. Let's just read it. Uh, let's just read it to, to conclude and go to the Lord's table. Um, he said this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Boy, that's a great phrase we didn't spend a whole lot of time on, but that's true. He abides in me, and I abide in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And that's pretty plain and pretty clear. And I'm not going to add any more to that except to say this. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus, in his person and work, Jesus is what you need. Amen. Let's pray. On him. Thank you for the eternal life that comes as a result of feeding, feasting on Jesus. Thank you for that atonement. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What's going on here is a beautiful, wonderful, spiritual thing. We're doing this as we remember what Jesus did for us. Do this in remembrance of me. Um, sometimes that just that tangible feeling, that taste, that uh, the Lord uses that. We are remembering. We're doing it until he comes. We are looking forward. We're looking back to his death on our behalf. We're looking forward till he comes again. And everything in between, his resurrection, his teaching, his ascension, the Christian life we get to live. And so by me saying in the sermon a moment ago that that's not what Jesus meant does not diminish the beauty and the wonderful sacrament that the Lord gave us to do. It just doesn't save you in and of itself. The only thing that saves you in and of himself is Jesus Christ on the cross for your sins. But we look and we do. That's why we partake. Um, We 